Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. Come on, take it all out. nation's top comics, Abbott and Costello, petrified, but hilariously. <laughs> Plus the dangerous and terrifying Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney. Plus that fiend out of a nightmare, the vampire Batman, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Plus the most dreaded creature of them all, the Frankenstein monster, played by Glenn Strange. Plus a couple of luscious but designing females in the spookiest laugh fest on record. there it's brian davis and for this week's episode we're gonna pick another movie out of my dvd collection and it's gonna be abbott and costello meet frankenstein from 1948 the studio was universal pictures their original release date was june 15th 1948 the running time was 83 minutes very brisk and it was in of course black and white the budget at the time was $792,000, which made it the second cheapest movie for Universal Pictures. Most of that budget went to Abbott and Costello, who made 105000 of that. The box office gross was $5.9 million. Today, that would be the equivalent of $132 million. So it was the second most grossing movie for Universal that year, and the 27th top grossing film of 1948. So it was a major success, and it really kind of put Abbott and Costello back on the map. And from there, they started to do a plethora of monster movies. Now, Leonard Maltin, who, if you're a fan of classic movies, you have to own his classic movie guide. It basically gives you every single movie ever made from the beginning of movies all the way up to 1960 or 65, depending what edition you have. It's a must-have for any film buff. So Leonard Maltin, of course, gives it three and a half out of four stars. His quick little synopsis says, Dracula plans to put Costello's brain in Frankenstein's monster. Werewolf Lawrence Talbot has his paws full, convincing the boys they're in danger. All-time great horror comedy still works beautifully, mainly because the monsters play it straight. Yes, that is Vincent Price's voice at the end. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, Rotten Tomatoes gives it 88% fresh from 25 reviews. Obviously, there's not a ton of reviews because <laughs> they don't always have a shitload of, of reviews uh, when it comes to older films, so that's, that's kind of uh, normal. The critics' consensus, though, is a zany horror spoof that plays up and then plays into the best of universal horror cliches. This movie is incredibly special to me for a few reasons. One, it was the first Abbott and Costello film that I saw. And two, it was the first monster movie that I saw. And if you put these two things together, it was like a dream come true for an eight-year-old kid. The movie started my love of classic universal monster films and also my love of the comedy of Abbott and Costello. This was also one of the first DVDs I bought after getting my first DVD player way back in 2002. Jeez. Before I dug deep into the other films of Abbott and Costello, I was always fascinated with their radio shows from the 1940s, and as you might have gathered by me hosting a podcast, radio was something that I was always drawn to, especially as a kid. And so while movie fans may only know them for their films, uh, pop culture and especially baseball fans might know them for one of the most famous comedy bits ever created, and that's Who's On First. Now, look, uh, what do you want? Now, look, I mean, after all, if I'm the head of the sport department, I gotta know the baseball players' names. 
mean, and I got to know the teams that's playing everything well, else. Well, naturally, I'll... There's one team that's playing here this week. Do you know the guys' names? Oh, sure. Then you go ahead and tell me some of their names. Well, I'll introduce you to the boys. You know, strangers may seem they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Give me funny names. Nicknames, pet names like Dizzy Dean and... But a Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their cousin. Who are you? Goofy. Goofy, huh? <laughs> well, now, let's see. We have on the bags, we have who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I, I say who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. Are you the fellow that knows all the players? I certainly. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? Now, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who is on first? Have you got a contract with the first baseman? Absolutely. Who signed a contract? Well, naturally. <laughs> it's no good unless he signs it. It's no good unless who signs it? No. So who signed it? Absolutely. <laughs> When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> and why not? The, man, the man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Absolutely. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no. Wait a minute. Don't twitch him. Don't twitch him around. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. He's on third. Now, we're not talking about <laughs> Let's get this thing straight. Now, how did I get a third base? You mentioned his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Never mind first. I want to know what's the guy's name on third. No, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go. Well, I can't change that name. Will you please stay on third base and don't go off it? What is it you now, want? Now, who's playing third base? Now, why do you insist on putting who on third base? Now, who am I putting over there? Yes, but we don't want him there. What's the guy's name belongs on now, third? What belongs on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, third base. base. <laughs> you got an outfield? Oh, yes, yes. The left fielder's name. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd tell you. All right, but tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing Stay first? Stay out of the infield! Don't mention that name. What's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third, Third base. <laughs> and the left fielder's name? Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. <laughs> you know these players as well as I do. Look, you got a pitcher on a team? Now, wouldn't this be a fine team without a pitcher? The pitcher's name? Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, man. Then go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow are you going to tell me who's pitching? Now, listen, who is not pitching? I'll who break is... your arm, you say, who's on first. Go ahead, have it your own. I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> you got a catcher? Well, absolutely. The catcher's name? Today. Today. Tomorrow's pitching. Now you've got it. Well, we got us a couple of days on the well, team. I can't help that. You know, I'm a catcher, too. I know that. I'll get behind a plate and do some fancy catching. Tomorrow's pitching on my team, and the heavy hitter gets up. Yes. Tomorrow throws the ball, the guy who busts the ball. When he busts the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out of first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw the ball to first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. <laughs> Throw the ball to first base. Somebody's got to catch it. Now, who caught it? Naturally. Who caught it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. Naturally. Yes. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, no, no. <laughs> you throw the ball to first base, then who gets it? Naturally. That's right. Now we're talking. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. You don't. I throw it to who? Naturally. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> saying it that way. I said I throw the ball to naturally. You don't. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. Well, say that. That's what I'm saying. saying that. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. Ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's Same it. as you. <laughs> I throw the ball to first base, then who gets it? Naturally. Who has it? Naturally. He better have it. <laughs> Whoever it is drops the ball, so the guy runs to second. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to, I don't know. I don't know if it throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Yes. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caused. Why? I don't know. He's on third, and I don't give a darn. <laughs> oh, is that? I said, I don't give a darn. Oh, that's our shortstop. It is. <laughs> Lou Costello actually wanted to be a dramatic actor, though his idol was Charlie Chaplin. 
Wu actually met Bud Abbott on the burlesque circuit back in 1936, and the two of them just hit it off perfectly. The, the fit was kind of like your, your typical vaudeville comedy duo tropes, you know, short versus tall, thin versus fat, smart versus naive. You know, they became the most successful as a comedy duo on the radio before making their first film in 1940. And, and by 1941, they were making over a million dollars a year and was one of the most popular comedy teams around. Now, for monster movies, there was always comedy in monster movies. The original Invisible Man from 1933 was filled with humor scenes. And initially, the concept of Abbott and Costello working with the monsters was supposed to be for Broadway. The boys wanted to take Bella Lugosi on the road with them. This was probably around 1943. But they didn't have the time for a Broadway show due to their radio and live performance commitments. And in total, the boys made 21 films before their monster crossover film. So finally, in 1948, Universal decided to mix the boys with the monsters. And, and Costello hated the original script. And he, he frankly thought it was crap. That was a direct quote. Uh, the original title of the film was The Brain of Frankenstein. But it sounded like a traditional horror title instead of a comedy film. So it was changed to Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And the test audiences loved that title. Costello eventually warmed up to the idea of the film when the studio offered a $50,000 advance to him, and he quickly changed his tune about appearing in the film. As always, money talks. I think what makes this film especially wonderful is the return of Bela Lugosi as Dracula. What, what is interesting is that when you mention Bela Lugosi to any movie, movie viewer, they immediately think of Dracula. However, he actually only played the Dracula character twice in his career the original film from 1931, and of course, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And this is what makes his mark, no pun intended, all the more legendary. He's almost always considered the standard when it comes to playing Dracula. I am Dracula. Oh, it's really good to see you. I don't know what happened to the driver and my luggage and... Well, and with all this, I... I thought I was in the wrong place. I bid you welcome. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Interestingly enough, Lugosi actually wasn't the first choice to play Dracula in this film. Ian Keefe was the first choice, and ironically, Keefe was the first choice to play Dracula back in 1931 for the original film. Lugosi's manager actually met with the head of Universal and shamed him into giving Lugosi the role by saying, He is Dracula. You owe this role to Lugosi. And it eventually went to him, and thank goodness it did. So also, John Carradine, who was, he was in line to play Dracula in the film, and he had starred as the character in the last few monster films prior to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. However, he had legal issues in New York and was trying to avoid arrest for non-payment of alimony. There's got to be a bl great bloodsucker joke in there somewhere for lawyers, but I'm not going to go there. You can, but I'm not. I dropped the seed, though, so there you go. Lon Chaney Jr. was the only actor to ever play the Wolfman monster for Universal and kept that streak going, of course, in this film. However, after Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein was released, he was quoted as saying he thought the film ruined the monster genre because it made them look like buffoons. And honestly, I couldn't disagree more with his sentiment. Uh, if anything, the film allowed, allowed kids to discover the monsters in a subtle way and then go back to watch the originals, just like I did and just like countless others. To round out the monsters, Glenn Strange, what a perfect name, <laughs> plays the Frankenstein monster. Strange was best known as, the, as a character actor in many westerns. He was the perfect size to play the monster as he was six foot six. Strange absolutely loved Lou Costello and often would uh, crack up in the middle of takes when he was all dressed up as the monster because Costello would keep making jokes, and especially the scene where Costello was sitting on Frankenstein's lap unknowingly. That's a great scene. I think everyone that was involved in this film wanted all the original actors to revise their role, and, and Boris Karloff was actually approached to play the monster again. However, he felt the movie would make fun of the monster, kind of like what Lon Chaney eventually said, and he didn't want to be part of that type of film. 
He did, however, promote the film when it was released, likely due to contractual obligations for his other films with Universal. The really the great part about this film is that it stands alone in the monster movie timeline, meaning the film wasn't meant to be a sequel of any kind. This made it easy for the scriptwriters to avoid having to fit the story around past films, and they could pretty much start with a clean slate. Speaking of the writers, it was co-written by Robert Leese, Frederick Ronaldo, and John Grant. Lees and Ronaldo actually wrote many of the past Abbott Costello films, along with a few monster movies like The Black Cat, which starred Lugosi, and The Invisible Woman. Grant was also a frequent collaborator with Lees and Ronaldo on past Abbott Costello films. Now, the director of the film was Charles Barton, or Charlie Barton, and he had a great working relationship with Abbott Costello. He was one of the first to use three cameras on this film shoot and made sure he captured all the subtle and great reactions that would magically appear from take to take. Barton also directed nine Abbott and Costello films and also directed TV shows like Amos and Andy, The Munsters, Dennis the Menace, Zorro, and Family Affair. In total, he actually directed 580 TV shows, which is an amazing amount of work. Now, when you think of the monster movies, you have to bring up the costume and makeup folks. Uh, Universal makeup artist Jack Pierce had been with the studio for years, but was not under contract and was considered an hourly employee. The studio decided Pierce's fees were too costly and decided to save money and hired Pierce's protege, Bud Westmore. Westmore created more cost-effective rubber pieces and were used in place of Pierce's more costly and time-consuming makeup design. Westmore created a rubber head that Glenn Strange wore to play the Frankenstein monster, and it was so waterproof and fitted him so tightly that after a few hours under the hot lights, Strange could shake his head and hear the sweat rattling inside of it. Westmore's makeup and costume took only 90 minutes to create, whereas Pierce's took three to four hours, which is incredibly time-consuming. But you got to think about it. Of course, he wanted to spend more time because he was an hourly employee. There's a method to his madness. Since the boys were used to a live setting and and performing, the stop and starting of filming was often difficult for them, and it was tough to keep the comedic momentum going. So they would often have ongoing gags between shooting, like pie fights and practical jokes, to keep the mood light. Now, Bobby Barber was a friend of Abbott and Costello and was used almost like a court jester in almost all their films and kept them amused during shooting. However, Bella Lugosi was not amused by the jokes and during his scenes, and there are outtakes of Lugosi yelling at Barber as he is seen sneaking behind Lugosi during a scene and impersonating him. You don't mess with Dracula. So the other actors in the film, there's uh, Lenore Aubert. Uh, she plays Sandra Mornay. And I always thought Aubert looked very similar to Hedy Lamarr, as both were beautiful brunettes who played mysterious and seductive characters. Aubert was born in Slovenia and is best known for her role as Costello's love interest in the film. Jane Randolph played Joan Raymond. (laughs) I think it's funny that her real name and character name are both JR names, but in this film, she plays an insurance agent who was investigating Abbott and Costello to see if they stole cargo that was supposed to be delivered to a wax museum. Randolph was best known for her uh, film roles as in film noir in in the 1940s, and Abner Costello Meet Frankenstein was actually her last film of her career. Frank Ferguson plays Mr. McDougal, and Ferguson plays the angry owner of the Wax Museum, is often taking out his frustration on Costello, which was always funny. Ferguson was in hundreds of films as a character actor and continued his almost 40-year career up until his death in 1978. Charles Bradstreet plays Dr. Stevens. The Dr. Stevens character is actually pretty bland and generic, and and Bradstreet really didn't do much before or even after this film. Some funny trivia, though. He is credited as Dr. Stevens, but his character is never once called Doctor. He was always referred to as Professor Stevens. So my thoughts on the movie. Uh, I love the beginning cartoon with Frankenstein knocking on the two coffins, and, and then you see the two skeletons pop out screaming like Costello. Uh, Then it dissolves to the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein, and a mysterious woman, as we discover later, it's Sandra, sauntering in the moonlight by a tree. And supposedly it was Walter Lance who created the opening animation, though he's uncredited. Lance is notable for being the original artist for the Woody Woodpecker cartoons. As like most Abbott and Costello movies, the boys always work at some sort of job together. They're never apart. And this time they're luggage handlers for a train station. Abbott is always abusive to the internally childish Costello. Now, as a kid, I always loved Costello because of this childlike nature. 
However, as an adult, I appreciate the comic timing and straight man shtick that Abbott was a master at. Sandra, uh, she's absolutely gorgeous and way out of Costello's league. E- even at a young age, I thought the same, the, though the real intention is to capture him so that Dracula can put his brain into Frankenstein's. Of course, because Costello is so simple and feeble-minded, it's a much more suitable brain than the abnormal brain, which is placed into the Frankenstein monster originally. Hey, Chick, here's one. Darling. Yeah? Darling, I have to run along. Something has come up that means we'll have to break our day tonight. It ain't another man, is it? Of course not. Silly boy. Oh, yeah. Boy, I'm floating on a cloud of love. Listen, you little blimp. I'll let the air out of you in a minute if you don't give me a hand. Understand it? Thank you. Boy, is this kid lost. Come here. Take that rope and get up on top of that box and tie it to that handle up there. Okay. Nothing matters. No more. Oh, I'm so happy. God, go on. Get up there. Hit it. Hold still now. Stop him. Is he trying to ruin me? I'll keep your shirt on. You're insured. Yes, and if those exhibits are damaged, I intend to collect. Well, there you are. Shall I wrap it up? No, you idiot. You're going to take those down to my house of horrors and uncrate them. Because if that's the way you handle baggage, I'm going to have the insurance agent there to inspect them before I accept delivery. Well, then it's going to cost you overtime because I'm a union man. And I work only 16 hours a day. A union man only works eight hours a day. I belong to two unions. Get those down to my place. All right. So then we would see one of my favorite things to watch as a kid, and that is Lon Chaney Jr. transitioning from man to wolf amazing dissolve in makeup uh, a quick 10 second shot seeing these transitions would take hours and hours of makeup and this is where the precision and dedication to special effects and makeup is so much better uh, in the past compared to the really frankly lazy C- cgi used exclusively today now i realize this is an incredibly laborious process and it was mostly out of necessity because the technology wasn't available in the 1940s however in the long run it's much more pleasurable and dare i say realistic seeing it like this as a transition you also get to see cheney change in the woods after the costume party Speaking of special effects, I always liked how the producers would sometimes use animation for the transition scenes, like when Dracula would transition from bat to human and vice versa. It actually still looks really cool even today. Now, one of the funniest and most memorable scenes in the film is when the boys deliver Dracula's coffin to McDougal's House of Horrors. It's basically like a wax museum. The comedic timing in this scene is perfect, and this is what Abner and Costello were brilliant at. While the scene might seem kind of cliche today, it's truly brilliant. Costello is think, constantly thinking Dracula is rising out of the coffin, only to creep back when Abbott comes back into the room after Costello does his screaming and does his silly stuttering. Actually, the moving candle on the coffin bit originally appeared uh, in the Abbott and Costello film Hold That Ghost. Costello being so scared is really what makes this a favorite to kids, and it was for me, like him trying to whistle for Abbott, only getting a wheezing noise. And they do a similar bit later in the film with the trick walls in the dungeon when Dracula and Frankenstein appear. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. Dracula... You know that person you said that there's no such person? Yes. I think he's in there, in person. I was reading a sign over here, this one down here. Dracula's legend. All of a sudden I heard... That's the wind. It should get oiled. Listen, stop reading this thing. That's a lot of phony baloney to fool McDougal's customers. Now fold up that canvas and get busy. Come on. Dracula can change himself at will into a vampire bat flying about the countryside. Flying. 
enough noise to wake up the dead. I don't have to wake him up. He's up. I saw a hand. You saw a hand? Uh-huh. Where? Right over there. Let me see it. Right over there. Where is it? I saw a hand there. You don't know what you're talking about. You're all excited reading this legend. Now listen. Listen, Wilbur. I know there's no such a person as Dracula. You know there's no such a person as Dracula. But does Dracula know it? Now listen to me. McDougal will be here any minute with the insurance agent. Now get to work. Keeps himself alive by drinking the blood. to be ridiculous. Well, what? Are you trying to tell me that can will move? Look, wait a minute. Candles can't move. This, this one did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it. Keep your eye on it. Is it moving? Huh? It's not moving, is it? No. Well, use your brains a little bit. Let's get this job finished. As I mentioned earlier, Lugosi was the best Dracula hands down. It's the eyes and it's the dialect. Nobody was better. When he does his patented look into my eyes scene with Sandra, you, you're almost waiting for it. And the payoff is always satisfying. It's like waiting for your favorite band to play their hits and then getting it. Sandra then does the same thing on Costello and where you can actually see bats in her eyes, which I always thought was cool and creepy as a kid. Uh, Lugosi also guested on the Abbott and Costello radio program and maybe we'll play it at the end. What was it all about? This thing is too dangerous. The girl is an insurance investigator. Stevens is asking too many questions. And Wilbur was up to something in the basement. I think we ought to wait. And jeopardize the success of the operation? Never. I must warn you, my dear Sandra. I am accustomed to having my orders obeyed. Especially by women with a price on their heads. Don't try to scare me, Count Dracula. Here, The Secrets of Life and Death by Dr. Frankenstein. Memorize them. Operate yourself if you're in such a hurry. I have other ways of securing your cooperation. You're wasting your time. My will is as strong as yours. Are you sure? Look into my eyes. Look. They would repeat the same sort of scenes uh, with a clueless Costello walking on Cheney Jr. in his room because Cheney fears he will turn into the Wolfman because a full moon is supposed to appear. God, full moons sure do appear a lot in these films. This happens again later in the woods when Costello thinks the Wolfman is Abbott dressed, dressed in a wolf costume. They actually did a bit like this in the naughty 90s movie when Abbott was dressed in a bear costume and then a real bear gets loosed. I think this is sort of where Cheney's view of making the monsters look like fools might have come into play, but I still disagree with this assessment. The music score in this film is terrific. You get real strings and orchestra, and, and that is what sets these films apart from the generic scores that you don't even pay attention to nowadays. You can hear some of the score in the opening trailer. Uh, also, I, I love the use of the theremin in monster movies, you know, the lab scenes. You know, that's that's kind of what made these movies uh, what they are, and you constantly think of them. 
There's a great subtle joke that I often miss when the boys decide to double date. Uh, Costello mentions that he got the short end of the stick to of a date prior uh, and uh, mentions that Abbott's date at least had teeth. And, and Abbott replies that Costello's date did have teeth. And Costello replies with, did you see that tooth? <laughs> she had so much bridge work that he had to pay toll. So good stuff. The castle that has the laboratory is awesome. So many great scare scenes and the boys running around all around is tons of fun. The trick walls that spin, the dungeons, they have a moat, and, and much more. And again, I love how Monster Movie Labs all, also have all sorts of crazy sounds and lightning bolts and shock waves throughout, and you gotta have the theremin. It's awesome when Frankenstein throws Sandra out the window, so it's pretty jarring when you think about it. Even crazier is that Glenn Strange actually tripped on a camera cable while doing the scene and fractured his ankle. And so Lon Chaney Jr. had to briefly fill in for Strange for this scene. Chaney had played the monster in other uh, films for Universal. Lenore Aubert, who played Sandra, initially wanted to do the window stunt herself, but was told by the head of Universal that the insurance company would never uh, cover a stunt like this. So as it turned out, the stunt woman who ended up doing this stunt injured her hip when she was thrown out the window. So it's a good thing that she, Lenore didn't do it. The ending chase scene throughout the castle is tremendous. The Wolfman is fighting Dracula, and Frankenstein is chasing Abbott and Costello. It's so much fun. And the ending scene with Frankenstein walking to the gas fire on the, on a, on the pier, a giant dummy was actually created with a pulley system from above where the monster could walk through the fire and then crash below. Now, the ending is perfect. So the boys get away, and they're starting to row the boat away from the castle. And right when you think that the horror is over... They hear the voice of the Invisible Man, which was, of course, played by Vincent Price. And he's kind of smoking a cigarette in thin air. And it's just great. Because you almost think there might be a sequel. So that, that I always appreciated as a kid. Well, he won't chase us anymore. And another thing, Mr. Chick Young, the next time that I tell you that I saw something when I saw it, you'll believe me that I saw it. All relax. Now that we've seen the last of Dracula, the Wolfman and the Monster, there's nobody to frighten us anymore. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to get in on the excitement. Who said that? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the Invisible Man. <laughs> and the other thing I loved about older movies, at the end, it's short credits. It's like 30 seconds, the end, it's over. It's not five, ten minutes of just absolute... Well, I mean, that's great. If you worked on a film, I get it. <laughs> but your name is so thin, tiny, you're not going to see it anyway. Ah, uh, yeah, don't get me started on that. All right, some other interesting trivia about the film. Originally, The Mummy was to be included in the cast of Monsters, but that idea was eventually dropped. This was also the final Universal film to feature the Frankenstein monster, Dracula, and the Wolfman all in the same film until Van Helsing in 2004. When trying to seduce Wilbur, Sandra would say, God, he's so round, so firm. And Wilbur says, so fully packed. And so this is actually making fun of the slogan for Lucky Strike Cigarettes, which was one of the most pervasive taglines in the history of advertising. Wouldn't you want a prettier fella than me? No, I want uh -huh. no one but you. You are so full-blooded, so round, so firm, so fully packed. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein was a personal favorite of Hugh Hefner, who was, of course, the owner and operator of Playboy magazine, and one of his favorite actresses was Lenore Aubert. It's funny because Abbott and Costello play characters named Chick and Wilbur in this film, but actually they occasionally, and I didn't pick up on this, but I guess they do it, they actually call themselves Bud and Lou in the film. <laughs> this was out of habit, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's bound to happen because they're so used to calling each other their real names. And, okay, so we have, I have, from way back when, I had this on tape, uh, when Abbott and Costello had Bela Lugosi, uh, they travel to a haunted mansion, and they end up in Bela Lugosi's mansion. Now, they don't call him Dracula, but they actually call him Bela Lugosi, but uh, he still plays it up, and it's a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, Abbott, what time is it? It's time for the Abbott and Costello Show. We're on the air for ABC here in Hollywood. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go with the Abbott and Costello Show. Costello Show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood tonight for your listening pleasure with Susan Miller and the music of Matty Malley. Hold on to your chairs, folks, for here they are, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello.
Costello, Costello, you're late again. Well, I was watching the girls admiring Lana Turner's new necklace. Lana Turner has a new le- necklace? Yes, made out of her old wedding rings. <laughs> hey, who was that girl you were out with last night? Ah, that's my, that's my new girl. What's she like, Lou? What's she like? She likes bourbon, scotch, gin, rye, wine, scotch, <laughs> bourbon. Look, where, where did you meet this girl? Oh, at the Palladium. I asked her for a dance. Did you dance the foxtrot, the tango, or the waltz? The one-step. The one-step? One step and I changed my mind about dancing with her. <laughs> Why, wasn't she a good dancer? No, but she makes you forget about dancing during intermission. When I took her home, I kissed her goodnight and got a real kick out of it. Uh, she kisses that good? No, her father caught us. Right. <laughs> Instead of running around every night with a different girl, why don't you settle down and get married? Not me, Abbott. Getting married is like going to a cafeteria. Like a cafeteria? Yeah, you grab what you want and pay for it later. <laughs> If you're fighting crime, you'll need a man like me. Appoint me sheriff, and I'll go from house to house and pinch every cook. <laughs> no, no, not every cook. You mean you'll pinch every crook? You'll pinch what you like, and I'll pinch what I like. <laughs> Costello, you, you'll pinch what you like, and I'll pinch what I like. You said that. You said that now. Costello, why were you late tonight? Well, I overslept there, but I had a very peculiar dream. I dreamed I was a pincushion in a, in a room full of balloon dancers. And am I mad? Why are you mad? Well, I woke up just when things were beginning to pop. I... <laughs> After next week, I'm going to get my whole... I'm going to get my own room. I can't sleep on my brother Pat anymore. All night long, he dreams he's Roy Rogers. Well, why should that disturb you? He also dreams I'm triggered. I... <laughs> Heaven, if you will appoint me Sheriff Vincino, I'll clean up the town. I'll mop up all the pool rooms. I'll clean out all the saloons. I'll scour the alleys. How can you do that? On the side, I'm a street cleaner. <laughs> Castello, if I make you the new sheriff, you've got a lot of brave men to follow. Listen to the records of the backgrounds. Sheriff Jones, Redcoats, Northwest Mounted, 1931. Oh, yeah. Sheriff Brown, Redcoats, Northwest Mounted, 1938. Sheriff Costello, Sportscoats, Bullock's Basement, 1975. <laughs> Look, Lou, to do criminal work, you have to know something about the law. For instance, do you know do you know how to put up a defense? Well, sure. All you have to... Could I have that again? I said, do you know how to put up a defense? Why should I put up a defense? I already put up at the wall around my house. <laughs> I also got at the hedge in the backyard. Why do I have to put up a defense? No, no, Costello, when I say you put up a defense, I don't mean you put up a fence like you uh, do when you put up a fence. I mean a defense... Like when you put up a defense. Yeah, but I think you nuts. Now you say... <laughs> it's no use. You wouldn't know how to act in a criminal investigation anyhow. Oh, is that so? Yes. I was down in a morgue yesterday to see a gangster that was killed. I lifted up the sheet and there he lay, the corpus delicatessen. That the... <laughs> dummy. Corpus delicti. Not corpus delicatessen. This was a corpus delicatessen. He was stabbed with a salami. Right. <laughs> well. I knew you were cleaning up Encino, but you didn't have to dump that heap of rubbish here on the stage. <laughs> rubbish? Oh, pardon me, it's Costello. I... <laughs> I'm appointed Costello as sheriff of Encino. He's going to chase all the criminals out of town. Well, buddy, you ought to put me on that job. You know I'm a regular bloodhound. From the looks of your ears, you must be pot cocker spaniel, too. <laughs> I don't have to take any more insults from you, Costello. I can see through you. I've got eyes like a hawk. And a beak to match. <laughs> Costello. How dare you insult my wife? She's beautiful. Why, before I married her, she had men falling in her feet. And why not? She was refereeing fights at the Legion Stadium. <laughs> oh, you pigeon-puss pop-eyed penguin. When I was a girl living in the country, boys used to court me from ten miles away. They had to. They were afraid to come any closer. <laughs> Pay no attention to money. Say, that's a pretty hat you're wearing, dear. Oh, I just bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think I should wear it to one side off the face? If you're smart, you'll wear it over your face. <laughs> oh, low life. Low life? Uh, by the way, buddy, I got some new shoes, too. Do you like them? They're pumps. On, on you, they look good. Well, thanks. Considering that your legs look like pump handles. <laughs> oh! How dare you? I have beautiful legs. You're bowling. My wife is not bowling. She's the only woman in the world that can walk down a bowling alley while the game is on. 
Costello, for insulting my wife, I'm not going to make you sheriff of Encino, and I'm not going to give you this beautiful badge. Oh, please, Abbott, let me be the sheriff. I've always wanted a badge. Everybody's got a badge but me. A cop has a badge, a fireman has a badge, even a little boy scout has a badge. Abbott, I've just got to have a badge. But, uh, why do you have to have a badge? I'm tired of holding up my pants with my teeth. <laughs> oh, all right. I hereby appoint you sheriff of Encino. Step forward, and I'll pin this badge on your shirt. Thank you, Abbott. I mean, Your Honor. Hold still. I'm tearing your shirt. I ain't wearing any shirt. <laughs> Come on. We're going over to the sheriff's office in Encino right now. So you can start to work immediately. Well, Sheriff Costello, you can take over at once. I've got it, Abbott. What? Ma'am broke into your room? Yes, ma'am. I'll put on the police radio right away. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Go to 237 Mulberry Street. An old maid found a burglar in a room. Proceed with caution. The old maid is armed. <laughs> well, Costello, you're catching on to your job fast. Oh, my I'm glad I found you here. I have news for you. I just picked up a cent. It's nice since more. Grab a bus and get out of town. Cut that out, Costello. My wife may be in trouble. Oh, that's right, buddy dear. Something terrible has just happened. What did he do? Find your birth certificate? Uh... (laughs) Costello, pay attention to my wife. As the sheriff of Encino, it's your duty to hear her out. Well, if it'll make you happy, I'll throw her out. Never mind him, dear. Let's hear your story. Well, for the last couple of nights, there's been a lot of strange noises. Screams and gunshots coming from that empty house next door to us. Suddenly, at two o'clock in the morning, as I was standing by the stove baking fudge... What happened? What happened? Oh, she burned her fudge. No, I saw a mysterious man peering out of the attic window... He made an ugly face at me like this. No, no. Don't do that. I haven't made the face yet. How can I tell? <laughs> Quiet, Costello. This may be more serious than you think. I'd like to see the sheriff. Oh, him. That's the mysterious man. Costello, look. It's Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi. Just a minute, Costello. Mr. Lugosi, I am the chairman of the Committee for Crime Prevention in Encino. Now, uh, just what is the nature of your complaint? Well, I put it in a simple language that even a moron can understand. Step aside, Abbott. He's talking to me. (laughs) Now, listen, Lugosi, I'm the sheriff around here, and I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, what were those screams in your house at midnight? That was my business. And what about those gunshots? That's my business. Ask him about those dead bodies in the basement. He's also my business. This guy is doing a heck of a business. <laughs> that settles it, Costello. You, Sheriff, will have to investigate and search Lugosi's house tonight at midnight. You will like the house, Costello. It's the only house in Encino where every room has a, a bat. <laughs> And a strange man should suddenly appear with a long, sharp knife in his hand and offer to cut your throat? Yes. Refuse him. (laughs) Abbott, take back the badge. I don't want to be sheriff anymore. Get me out of here now, Abbott. And that's only half the fun, folks. Just as many laughs yet to come. Well, Costello, here we are at Bella Lugosi's house. Have it. It's awful dark in that house. But you've got to go in there. You're the sheriff. You've got to go in there and look for the trouble. Couldn't I look for it out here? There's more light. <laughs> look at me. I'm not scared. Shh. Have it. I think I hear something. Or is it my imagination? <coughs> Thank goodness it was only my imagination. <laughs> Costello, I see you have come to investigate my house. Come in. 
I'm making myself a sandwich. What kind of a sandwich? It's a rattlesnake burger. <laughs> covered with pickled toads and diced bat wings. Do you put ketchup on it? What? To get heartburn? No. <laughs> It's too bad you won't be here for breakfast. We are having shrouded wheat. Shrouded wheat? Abbott, look, there's a casket in the corner with rubber sheets in it. Rubber sheets in it? Yes, I line all my caskets with rubber sheets. So the rain can't get in. Why? My beer is the dry beer. <laughs> Hey, Costello, look at that funny-looking machine over there in the corner. Now, that's my Sears machine. On that, I manufacture robots. Get it, Abbott? Sears are robots. <laughs> One of you will soon be dead. <laughs> One of you will soon be dead. Which one? Don't be so choosy. <laughs> Abbott, I'm getting out of here. I don't like the looks of this place. Look at the grandfather's clock in the corner. Oh, lots of people have grandfather's clocks. With their grandfather's hanging in it like a pendulum? on them? <laughs> Never mind that, Costello. Question Lugosi about the house. Mr. Lugosi, where is the former owner of this house? Do you see that pile of freshly dug dirt in the corner? Yes, sir. Well, that's not a vegetable garden. Hmm, <laughs> that's strange. I thought I felt a draft on my neck. What's strange about that? I have no neck. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lagosi, what are you whispering for? I was born in a library. I had to stay there six months. How come? My father lost his card. <laughs> hey, look, Costello. There's a skeleton in this room. Abbott, there's two skeletons in this room. <laughs> two skeletons? Yeah, I just jumped out of my skin. Hey, Abbott, look. Lugosi has just disappeared through that wall. Pardon me, Abbott. I want to see somebody outside. Who? Me. That... Come back here, Costello. You're scared? Why don't you sing? Go ahead and sing. It'll keep up your courage. Carry me back to old Virginia. You keep singing like that and they'll drag you back. Who are you? I'm a ghost. I'm the ghost of Richard, the lion-hearted. Who are you? I'm Costello, the chicken-livered. <laughs> Mr. Ghost. Costello is the sheriff, and we've got to investigate this house. Why don't you start in the cellar? Here, I'll open the door for you. You can go right down those stairs. <laughs> Costello, where are you? I'm down in the cellar, Rabbit. But look out for that first step. It's a Lulu. <laughs> it's all right, Costello. Here I am. I'll turn on this flashlight, and we'll take a look around. Abbott, quick, look over there. There's a body on the floor. Is he dead? I can't tell. His head is missing. I... <laughs> I'm getting out of here, Abbott. Costello, what are we? Mice or men? I don't know about you, but I'm glad there's no cat around. <laughs> look. Mila Lugosa's back. Costello. It is indeed regrettable that you choose to prowl around in my cellar. I'm in a bloodthirsty mood. So far this week, I've only killed nine people. This guy sounds like a California driver. <laughs> Just a minute, Lugosi. Costello's the sheriff of this town, and you've got, a, you've got a dead man lying down here in your cellar. Yes, I know. He lives here. But he's dead. He's dead, I tell you. Why don't you throw him out? 
I can't. His rent is paid up until June 1st. (laughs) Come on, Costello. We've got to continue with the search. Well, go ahead with your search. If you want me, I'll be in the morgue lying on my slab. That's where I'm happiest. I'm lying on my slab. Don't look now, Abbott, but I think he's a little slab happy. (laughs) Come on, Costello. Let's look in this room. Open the door. Costello, what in the world was that? I don't know, and I ain't getting down off this channel here to find out. Come on down here, Costello. Hey, look. I just found a secret closet. Let's open it. Now, don't touch that door, Costello. Look at that sign. It says, this closet has never been opened in over 175 years. I don't believe that. I'm going to open it. The British are coming! Costello! Costello, where are you? I'm hiding over here under this bed. Come on, crawl out from under that bed. Okay. Now, I wonder who put that piggy bank under here. (laughs) Hey, look, Costello. There's a panel sliding open in that wall. Ah, gentlemen, how can I ever thank you? You've released me from a hypnotic spell that I've been under for over a thousand years. Oh, Abbott, she's beautiful. Tell me, miss, are you a mummy? Oh, no, I'm not even married. (laughs) Gee, you're lovely. Where did you come from? I remember coming here on Noah's Ark with all the animals. They all came in pairs. The birds came in pairs. The rabbits came in pairs. Did everything come in pairs? Everything but the worms. They come in apples. (laughs) What What are you two doing here? Well, we're trying to solve the secrets of this house. I can help you. I know this house. I've got the inside. Uh, what you've got on the outside ain't bad either. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful. Didn't have enough material, eh? Stella. Stella. Lou, 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 be careful. This girl is a vampire. She may be dangerous. And besides, she's a thousand years old. You ought to be able to handle a rabbit. She's the same age as your wife. Which one of you gallant gentlemen opened that panel and released me? I did. Oh, I'm going to reward you. Come, put your arms around me. I'm going to kiss you. (laughs) There, how was that? Abbott, this kid is more than a thousand years old. Ah, you're very sweet. You remind me of an actor I used to go with 500 years ago. Really? You went with an actor 500 years ago? What was his name? Al Al Jolson. (laughs) Hey, what's that? Oh, it's it's Lugosi coming back. He mustn't find me here. I've got to get back behind my panel. But before I go, you may take my hand and kiss it. Thank you. Thank you. Costello, what are you doing? I'm kissing her hand. But Costello, the girl is gone. She's gone back behind that panel. Now, wasn't she sweet? She gave me her hand a kiss. I've got her hand and I'm holding it in mine and she's gone. And I wasn't that. She's gone. Come on, I still got her hand up. Quiet. What are you trying to do? Wake up the living? <laughs> Costello! Costello! It's Bella 
Lugosi. He's coming towards us. Well, Sheriff Costello, I've got to go now before I get into trouble with the police. Are you afraid of the police because you killed those nine people last week? No, it's not that. Are you afraid of the police because of the... Dastardly crimes you've committed? No, it's not there. And why are you afraid of the police? Yes, why? Why do you have to leave here so suddenly? I just remembered I left a, my car parked in a one-hour zone. And you know those Los Angeles cops. <laughs> Good night, Mr. Costello. <laughs> Good night, Mr. Lugosa. Isn't he a lovely <laughs> chap, Costello? Yes, he sure is. I'd like to have known him when he was alive. <laughs> And now, here are Abbott and Costello with the final word. Folks, the contest we are running on our Saturday morning Abbott and Costello Kids show now has a jackpot of over $29,000. Get in on this contest, folks. We believe it is the biggest contest ever, and for the greatest cause. The purpose is to combat juvenile delinquency. And by entering, you can win a $5,000 mink coat, a $5,000 airplane, a $3,000 trailer, a live baby elephant, thousands of dollars worth of diamonds, and loads of other big prizes, totaling over $29,000. Listen Saturday morning over most of these stations. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Wednesday night at this time for another great Abbott and Costello show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Charles Vanda and featuring Susan Miller and Maddie Malnick's orchestra. This is Michael Roy saying goodbye until this same time next Wednesday. Be sure to stay tuned for the outstanding entertainment which follows throughout the evening on this ABC station. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have T-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories T-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender. You can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to TeePublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own T-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. 
We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also said... Science! Science also said, my second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science!